I'm starting to get warm. You can cool it down. I'm hey, good. Hey, yeah, I want you to be comfortable, to Julia. It difficult to breathe. <laughs> I know. Uh, it's Carcon Carne <laughs> presented by the Audubon Mazda of Evanston, 1015 Chicago oh. Avenue in Evanston, in between Dempster and Main Street. I, I love it. Past two cars I purchased have been from the Autobarn Mazda of Evanston. We're in one of those cars right now. I've been driving the Mazda CX-9, which is about the most luxurious thing I've ever been behind the wheel of. Uh, the safety features, being able to drive on the highways and see my speed limit, how fast I'm going, my miles per hour, right in front of me, projected through the screen, letting me know if someone's in my blind spot. I feel like I can do no wrong when I'm behind the wheel because I'm protected. I've got this force field created by the Mazda CX-9, the Autobarn Mazda of Evanston. All right. Julia, so is this your car or they this let is actually you use my car. their car? I was worried because Just we were going wondering. for Mexican food. They do. Uh, let me use mm. one. I was worried because of Mexican food, there might be casualties. I, if there are chips and salsa involved, <laughs> I'd rather it spill in my car. Understood. Than, uh-huh. Than a loner. Got it. All right. Shall we do this? Yes. It's car con carne. Let's eat in the car. It's car con carne. That's Julia Nash right there. That's her husband, Mark, in the back seat. Hi. The second we got in, Julia was very cold, so I cranked the heat. I'm breaking a sweat. I, I know. I'm, I'm, turn it down. It's okay. okay. <laughs> I want you to be comfortable, but I, I'm also going to override that by invoking my own Do it. comfort. I'll tell you when I'm too cold. Industrial Accident, the story of Wax Tracks Records, is the documentary. It is the movie. It made me smile from ear to ear to watch that movie. It was like validation of, of that music we all grew up with and you cataloged it. You you shared it. You told the complete story and who better to tell the story than the daughter of Jim Nash, one of the two founders of Wax Tracks Records. For those people watching and listening who don't know the Wax Tracks legacy and you know with new generations it's possible. Wax Tracks is. That's a question. Tony. Yeah. Wax Tracks is <clears throat> well, I know it was. Um, uh, speaking f- for me, I was more a fan of the store. Um, so for me, it was just uh, this sort of magical playground, if you will. Um, f- it, it, it was a super special place, one that I felt totally at home. And then found out later... That's why uh, many people went there because they also felt like they were at home. So it was a store and then a label. Right. And I, I guess let's start there. Let's start with home to many people. There was that sense. Now, I remember vividly, I was a teenager. I was in Skokie going to Niles West High School. My friends and I would get on the yellow line in Skokie, take it to the Howard Red Line. We'd transfer, take the red line to Fullerton, and then we'd walk over mm-hmm. to the Lincoln Avenue location. Julia, I, I'm sure you wouldn't disagree. The Wax Tracks record store was the loudest place on earth. Yes. And when you walked in, like, I wasn't tatted out or pierced or wearing vinyl, but I felt like I was subculture and cool. Like, I I could do whatever I wanted and I'd be accepted walking in that place. That right. was the vibe of Wax Tracks. That's exactly right. And because you could look like you could be in a three-piece suit. You could be in you know, ripped jeans or a studded leather jacket. It didn't matter. Um, 
everyone was there because they loved music. That was it. That That's it. It was all about the music to the point where people who recorded on the Wax Tracks label worked behind the counter. I, I joked as we were waiting for our food, we're at El Presidente, which of course is Spanish for the president. Uh, El Presidente. My dad had that on his bowling ball. El Presidente? Mm-hmm. That's amazing. <laughs> I, I, it's also amazing that he was a, a bowler to the point where he had his own bowling ball. He was a uh, wicked bowler. Was he all? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What was my po- Oh, I was saying, <laughs> in those trips, those those sojourns to the Wax Tracks record store, I'm sure I had Groovy Man from My Life with the Thrill Kill Cult selling me a Mussolini head kick record at some point in time. Most likely, yes. And, and speaking of Mussolini head kick, I do remember buying a Mussolini head kick record at the store Again, from the perspective of a teenager, I'm there, I buy a record with a man, not on a cross, but on a swastika. It was the most subversive thing. Taken back to Skokie with you, too. Taken back to Skokie with me. That's a big deal. Exactly, exactly (laughs) right. But that was just it. Like, it it felt subversive and exciting to walk in that store. And Wax Tracks was one of those labels, is, remains one of those labels where people would buy the music just based on the fact, oh, it's Wax Tracks. There was that level of trust, that, that kind of brand strength that you just knew okay i like that revolting cox i like whatever i'm going to enjoy this next release that's almost unheard of in the modern day yes it's pretty special you did bomb a few times though probably (laughs) if you bought everything on wax tracks um i don't want to offend anybody of course uh you know cassandra complex that was that was played again sam though that was still that was still on us you know what I mean? When it came in, had wax tricks on it as well. So people, ah, let's buy this. Not good. Let's talk a little bit about the movie. Let's talk a lot of bit about the movie. It opens. Well, I guess let's keep explaining what wax tracks is. So your dad, Jim, started this with Danny, his partner, started in Colorado with the record store. Mm-hmm. They came here. I, I, I can't tell the story nearly as good as you, so you're going to have to help me here. Um, they opened the record store, and then they started the label. Was No, Divine wasn't the first. Was Divine the first? No. What was the first release? Well, Strike Under was the first release. I mean, there's the Eno 7-inch. I know you can chime the, in, Mark, but, I mean, the were, first real release was Strike Under. Yeah, they dabbled in bootlegs both in Colorado and in Chicago. And then the first official release was a Strike Under um, uh, EP. And then Divine was the second one. Got it. So you tell the story of Wax Tracks from its inception. And what I love about the movie, it opens up, it's almost metaphorical. You went to Danny's storage farmhouse and unearthed all this history. And by all this history, I mean all of it. Yes. Like Like canceled checks. Nothing, Bills, nothing was stamped, tossed. paid. No, nothing was tossed. So it, to me, it was very symbolic and probably intentional. It opens up the movie, but it, it's like a symbolic unboxing of all this kind of pent-up history that we haven't had access to for a while. And it's really cool. And explain this. This this scene was almost an accident. Like, the filming of this was almost an accident. Right. Or it was an accident. It was. The whole thing is an accident, which is why the title is so perfect. Um, yes, our daughter went with us to Arkansas and she was a junior in high school um, and had a, she was in a film class so she was just like shooting random footage to try and put something together for this assignment so 
we ended up scoring with this incredible footage of shooting the barn and the warehouse and all of that. So, How aware, because you were Jim's daughter and you grew up around this, how aware were you of just the enormousness of what Wax Tracks was and meant to people as you were growing up? Zero idea. Not even a hint? Nope. Really not at all. It wasn't until the retrospectacle that any of that even registered with me. So for people who are listening who don't know what the retrospectacle was. That was um, a three-day event that we did at Metro here in Chicago for sort of like a celebration of the lives of both Jim and Danny. So some of the old bands got back together, former members of KMFDM, um, Revolting Cox, Front 242. I mean, they all got back together to perform this three-day event. Um, and at, during that time, that's when fans were coming up to us like every second, uh, just sort of telling us what the store meant to them, the label meant to them, how it saved them, how it, you know, uh, led them to the path that they're on today and the careers they chose because of the album art on the, the records, um, made them go into graphic design, like just like it it was huge the impact that it made on people and so for me I was like what and that's kind of how even the film happened because it was like this is a big deal like you guys are here for this three-day event these bands that you haven't seen in ages um, all together all at once but these are the two guys that were responsible for all of this happening so you should know if they made that big of an impact on your life you need to know about them yeah so that was really kind of how it happened and the retrospectacle is covered in industrial accident we should bust out some food uh the reason why we're at el presidente uh, this is symbolic and I, I love this tell the story uh so el presidente was originally on lincoln and lil i believe it was just this very tiny little restaurant painted in red had like maybe four or five booths and then like bar stools at a counter and a really great jukebox with the Super Bowl shuffle on it. Um, so we used to go there all the time and it was actually on the way to and from 950, which was on Wrightwood and Lincoln. Yeah, the lucky um, number. Yeah. So there were many drunken nights of like passing by, grabbing your food from El Prez. So I've been coming here since I was about eight that's amazing. Let's go back to the retrospectacle for a second. You've got people telling you, this has got to be you, uh, how important yeah. the music was. Did you feel, as you're hearing these stories about people's connectedness with the music, did you, you feel like just like a direct line to your father as you were hearing those, those stories? You know, I guess so, a little bit, to be honest. Um, I think it it was kind of more just like, holy shit the amount of stuff these guys did yeah. in such a short amount of time and as young as they were um they were that kids. that blew my mind still today i can't really kind of conceive how that even happened we talk about that all the time mark and i do well, like and my dad passed away when he was 47 which is so young so it was from age in 27 years that's all that shit went down. Like, not even 27 years. No, the, the meat of it was like in 10 years. I mean, yeah, it took us so, almost 10 years to make this movie. And it's like they built an empire. Right. Yeah. You yeah. Know? 
Oh my God, this looks so oh, can good. You, can you hold that up, Julia, as best you can? The chilaquiles. <laughs> this is where it goes sliding. Chilaquiles, people. Now, El Presidente is open 24 hours. The expression is no good decisions happen or no, nothing good happens after midnight. Right? That's what we always told the kids. Uh-huh. Probably still <laughs> except true. Except this. Except this. Except tacos at 4 a.m. Yeah. Do you need a Ooh, fork? I probably do. Yeah. Uh, tacos El Pastor. Lovely. Actually, they smell amazing. This place is good. I'm telling you. I, I'm, I'm hearing it. And the hot sauce is awesome. So we'll like bounce around a little bit. Wax Tracks didn't have the ending it deserved first time around. And it's interesting. It's talked about in the movie, this notion of handshake deals with the artists. Right. Which made these artists, it made it very easy for artists to jump ship. And we saw that happen <laughs> in Chicago with Touch and Go Records, too. When suddenly there's an interest, labels wanted to have the next Nine Inch Nails or whatever, it was very easy to kind of gut these artists and take them away. And the, mm-hmm. You know, at Touch and Go, it was labels looking for the next grunge band. And exactly. There goes Urge Overkill or mm-hmm. the Jesus Lizard or whatever. Right. And that certainly hurt. Was it hard to recount this stuff or, or kind of capture all that? Um, I don't, as far as like the TVT years and when yeah. it's approached that, um... You know what? Does it make I, you angry? It, it, I get angry, sure, but also I know um, my dad did it for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and in all honesty, he was at the point of, you know, he just really wanted to be a grandfather. Mm-hmm. Like, I had Olivia at that point, and he, I mean, he had a key to my apartment. I lived next door. At one point, I lived downstairs from him and Danny, um, and he would let himself in. And say, I'm coming to get the baby. Like, I'd be asleep. In the morning, he'd come in, get the kid out of the bed, bring me a box of Oreos or something, like, as a <laughs> consolation prize, and take Olivia out of my house, you know. Um, How nice for her to have that. It was awesome. I mean, it was really, it was super cool. Um, but, so, really, what what I was focused on was having a kid. Right. And my dad was focused on me having a kid. <laughs> so those years, I mean, yeah, they were sad. And it was just like a, a, I didn't know what was going on at the label at that point because so many new and different people were showing up and then they'd be gone. And then they'd more people. It just, I didn't really, I checked out. Yeah. I and I, and he did too, for the most part. I mean, Mark, you might have some more. Well, I know that, I'm. Um, you know, something your brother said, um, Aaron, I think was, a little bit younger than and Julia and was wanted to work at the label and during during the TVT years I know Jim has said like you don't want to work here at this point it's just not yeah. it's not the same and I, I think TVT probably held it together f- for them until Jim died and then after that it was just like I mean it was just, it was beyond a sinking ship it just yeah. you know they they would just you know use the label to just throw anything into you know just you know because it had a a name to it Mm -hmm. but there was really no focus or any kind of like vision um and that really put danny into a really tough spot because he really couldn't do anything right um and so you know that was a really it was a dark time it was a very dark time after jim died uh not as important but how's your food awesome 
these tacos are really delicious. Good. I'm glad you like you it. Made, you made a really good call. Thank Let's you. talk a little bit. There's a very sweet moment in the movie uh, when you realize, hey, Jim and Danny aren't just friends. They're more than friends. <laughs> That's it. Right. <laughs> talk a little bit about their partnership. As a couple, as businessmen, I mean, the picture I get is Danny was the level-headed voice of reason guy and your dad was all guns a-blazing. Right. Yes, that's exactly how it was. Um, like, you know, opposites attract. You know, you need that balance. Yep. You need the excitement. You need the... It worked, you know. Um, as far as their relationship, I think seeing them kiss in that mirror was really like the one and very, very few times that I ever even... at ever thought of them as a couple after that hmm. it, it's not like not that they weren't um they didn't behave like they were weren't in a relationship they just were it was just like natural normal like we were just you know nothing was shocking nothing stood out as like this is weird um it just was they were my parents right you know jumping around to music how important was ministry to Wax Tracks in the early days? The story about Al Jorgensen walking off the street and playing his demo, mm-hmm. it just blows my mind that that is a thing that actually happened. Like, hey, listen to my stuff, and it worked. Right. Um, how big of a part did they play? How, how important? I, I wouldn't say how big of a part, but... I think it was very important. Um, you know, <clears throat> sorry, the that first Cold Life release that really that became like one of the biggest in the early days like one of that was kind of seed money to mm-hmm. start all this other stuff you know and um you can't i mean all those side projects that al did were incredible i mean they're that's like really some of my favorite stuff on the label right uh, is chris Connolly an mvp Hell yes. <laughs> in fact, he'd be in this car right now if he could be. Mm. He's my he's my sidekick usually. Well, aside from Mark, of course. Of course. But Chris is always my my go-to to do interviews with because he's so fun. So charming. Mm-hmm. Love his voice. He's amazing. Sense of humor, all of it. He's hilarious. He's sweet. He's adorable. And I, I love Super the, talented. Super talented. I love the footage you got your hands on. I mean, there's ministry from 1984. Mm-hmm. Like, we live in an age where everything's videoed and someone has some some footage of something. But back then, not so much. Mm-hmm. That's true. It wasn't as easy as whipping that phone out of your pocket to take footage. You had to be delivered and bring camera video cameras into. Right. Yeah, and they sat and on they your shoulder. Uh-huh. You know? They were huge, yeah. So it's pretty cool that you, you got your hands on all that stuff and were able to share it. Uh, there's even some, speaking of Connolly, there's uh, some footage of the Cox at Metro mm-hmm. in the late 80s. Mm-hmm. I love seeing that stuff. And in fact, I walked away from that thinking, I want to see more and more. Like, very Did you easy. go to that show? No. Man. No, I don't think I was allowed to see Revolting Cox in 1987. When we talk about legacy and wax tracks, I mean, you have some pretty recognizable talking heads in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Dave Grohl's in the movie. Yep. Talking about what an impact it made on him. Mm-hmm. Um, which I thought was a pretty good score. Bring, bring in the uh, the mainstream fans. We catch understand. a lot of shit for that. 
because he's a mainstream rock, yeah. rock hero. And everybody's like, oh, Dave Girl in another documentary, whatever. <laughs> Why? What did he have to do with Wax Tracks? Well, actually, he had a lot. He'd shop there. He, I mean, we even put in this new exhibit at Vans on State Street a Scream record that he autographed. That I mean, like he's, when he was in the store, he's been like, there, right? It's you he, know, yeah. Um, he went with this. I mean, whatever. I don't have to defend myself on that, but it's just I, I it's lame because so. people are just get all their panties in a bunch about it. And then you see someone like Trent Reznor who says, I mean, "No surprise, Wax Tracks made an impact on a young Trent Reznor." Mm-hmm. Uh, but he said that Wax Tracks inspired him to get the fuck out of Cleveland. Right. Which no surprise there. I mean, I'm glad that he spoke for for this movie. Right. Yeah. Me too. He's well, been very gracious with super cool. with his history and and the history of the label and wanting to be on the label. We include that in the bonus disc of him, you know, soliciting Wax Tracks, trying to get on there, like when he was really young. Um, so yeah, I mean, he he has a, you know, he's been very uh, vocal mm-hmm. in his support. And then going back to Bauhaus, David J is in the movie. Uh, pretty early on, and he talks about Jim and Danny's ac- uh, apartment. Very, very camp. He describes it as very gay. This very, just over the top enclave in the middle of the city. Mm-hmm. Is that your memory of your place growing up? Um, I don't remember. I mean, the very gay part. But- yeah, because I don't remember like anything gay. But do you remember looking wild or? It, they always had just like awesome shit. They had like. Giant fish tanks with saltwater fish in them. Giant piranha fish tank. They had huge surgical lamps in their place. I mean, they had just like all kinds of random crazy stuff. Probably the most gay thing they had was like a Fiesta Wear collection. You know what I mean? <laughs> but the rest of it was just like a super <laughs> crazy fun house. You know, it was it was it was a super cool place. The uh, going back to Trent, the Trent version of Supernaut. Wraps up the whole thing. Mm-hmm. That was kind of interesting when that happened in the '90s, where the the Trent version suddenly started appearing all across the country. I remember playing that on Q101 for a while. See, I don't remember that. I hate to tell you. Oh. Yeah, they, well, they, they released it on the black box because before that it had been because uh, there was some friction with TVT who would, yeah. who had Trent at that time, right? And, re- and like, wouldn't allow it. Would not allow it at all, and so. It's just kind of the irony that it ended up being kind of a TVT release on the black box, too. But Which, and for people who don't know, the black box, I, I have one. It's one of my proudest CDs and, or CD collections in, in, at home. It's this metallic box. It's a retrospective of wax tracks, and it includes audio tape, like reel-to-reel audio tape, bunched up, chopped up at the bottom of this metal container, it's nuts, and I still I still have all the the tape in there. I just I love it. That is such a cool and striking looking. And that was a super cool release. Super cool, great mm-hmm. design, mm-hmm. amazing. Um, yeah, the first thirteen years. That's what it is. The black box first thirteen retrospective. So the movie Industrial Accident. Oh, I should mention Carcon Carney, presented by the Audubon Mazda of Evanston. Cilantro stuck in my teeth. Chips on my chest. There you go. <laughs> score all the way around. So the movie uh, currently is only available as a Blu-ray and DVD, correct? Yep. Correct. I, the obvious question is when does it move to streaming? <gasps> That's a good question. Uh, well, streaming <laughs> is still later this year, but um, the digital download will be available next month. 
um, actually June 4th. In time for Father's Day. Perfect. We haven't announced that yet, so you just got an exclusive. Yeah, exclusive. Take that, Mazda, Auto Barn, (laughs) Barn. 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 (laughs) Barn. (laughs) All right, so streaming later this year, digital download imminent. I guess the next question is, as curators and as shepherds of this label, and having spent so much Um, time... Indiana Jones, I think. The Indiana uh, Jones. She was just... uh, referenced as the Indiana Jones of industrial music by Rolling Stone. For uncovering. Yeah. Like, Isn't that hilarious? In, going into Danny's and now temple. And, a shepherd. Uh, yeah, you're a shepherd. You're, you're Indiana Jones. Uh, but as the Have the you shepherd, ever tried to eat rice on one of these little plastic white forks? It can, it can be done. So not easy. What do you do with, with this? I mean, you've got the movie, which took you many years, and labor of love. It, where do you go next? I mean, do you do you try to revive it? Do you try to... No. For sure not. It's done. Well, as far... I mean... Okay. Mark always tells me, never say never. Don't close the door on anything. I'm sorry. But releasing new music or trying to, like, revive the label and, you know, sign bands, that is not me that's fair you know that that was Jim and Danny that's their thing that's what they created it was their foresight you know and that's just not my intention I have to say that when the young gods approached us to distribute their new record in the US I we were trying to do that actually we were like okay we'll do it because it's incredible um but it just the timing with when they needed it out here versus when we just did this whole release with the movie there we had no time to even properly sell it you know so if chris Connolly and paul barker came up to you and said we have this great idea well that's different <laughs> see you're right <laughs> I the exception so here you go chris <laughs> Chris and Paul, you've got your opening. Make something happen. So, okay. So, for now, let's say there's no more music to come from Wax Tracks. What Does this exist as a museum piece online? That's kind of our our hope, our plan. Although, I mean, that's, you're talking like many more years, probably. Um, Really, we are kind of focused on that like we're still going through boxes still sifting through things you're still going through boxes yes after how long when you've been working on this years there's still stuff that we have not properly gone through and do you you have everything in a storage space here in chicago now Mm -hmm. we we can't talk about that i mean no (laughs) no no (laughs) (laughs) i mean yes we do yeah it's all here in various Areas of Chicago. It's all over. Locations. Yes, it's spread citywide. Retina scan vaults. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so okay, so you're still unearthing stuff. What do you do with it? Go. Oh my God! Look at this. <laughs> like holy shit! Why'd they save this? Do you turn it into a digital archive? Do you? What do you do? Well, I mean, honestly, no, really what we've talked about and publicly talked about is putting together some sort of like visual history, coffee table book type of thing. That's kind of 
on the near distant future. Could the book come in a metal canister? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) We were talking about, you know, just silly stuff with it. Just there's so much like what do you put in this book? What don't you put in the book? I mean, there's so much shit. Like how do you, where do you stop? And then how big is the book going to be? And how heavy. You can't ship it anywhere ever probably. And then you have to write. Um, I mean, in addition to collecting all this stuff, you have to provide copy to thread everything. Exactly. It's very true. Exactly. So, I mean, it's a, it's a huge project, huge undertaking. Um, the other is some sort of museum piece, whether it's, you know, uh, stationary in some, like, permanent location, whether it's, you know, traveling, I don't know. But the fact is these guys saved everything. So it's, you know, it runs decades. It's not just wax tracks releases. It's music and memorabilia from the 60s on that's so as you go through the stuff do you just totally nerd out as a oh music yeah fan? and then we have to hide shit from the kids because they're all like i just got a new apartment can i just one of those bowie posters would oh be great hey, grandpa would have wanted me to have this. yeah exactly and then i go sure and mark's like no <laughs> not until this stuff is like cataloged hand away yes yeah. exactly our youngest daughter is like right now wears a, an original like 1972 Bowie t-shirt and it stresses me out I'm like dude we I need to put this away you do yeah not. but that was out of our hands because that was my mom's man who sold the world sweatshirt yeah and so she's like I think Emma would like this like, no. and it's like original and Mark's like oh my god <laughs> oh my god oh. so yeah <laughs> so what do you think Julia do you think your dad what do you, how, do you, how do you think your dad would have responded to this documentary? Well, well, knowing that you spent this time and going through his his life and kind of sharing his story, what, what would you have thought? I have no idea. He probably would have made fun of me, teased me a lot about things. Was he kind Super of sar- sarcastic? sarcastic. Okay. Yes. Um, I don't know. I mean, he was... He was um, I don't know if he would really like it. The attention? Yeah. He doesn't... He he was very... um, He definitely was, of the two, more outgoing. He was more, like, in your face and crazy. But when it came to being the focus of any kind of attention, interviews, photographs, ordering at a restaurant, either any of those things, he he was very much... He he did not like it, so I don't know that he would like seeing himself. I get that. So the movie Industrial Accident. It, the website is waxtracks.com. Waxtracks because of course it is. Uh, I love this movie. I just you see the just Chicago back in the day, and for those of us who've been to that store on Lincoln Avenue, I mean, just an immediate flashback like oh my god like i never thought i'd see the inside of that place again i wish we would have had like scratch and sniff <laughs> actually for that and hey, what would that smell like and don't say groovy man no <laughs> it you know a cross between like pot and <laughs> like rats i don't know like it it was a it was a gross smelling store really uh speaking do you of, remember that oh, i do no? and speaking of confession or speaking of thrill kill cult on my 21st birthday, I by this time I was living in Lincoln Park, I walked to the store, bought Confessions of a Knife on my 21st birthday, 
And A Daisy Chain for Satan I, is the only song I remember from when I turned 21, is that song. I still listen to that often. It's a great this, song. Such it's a, a great song. Oh, my God. So much. Okay, so I love this movie. If you're a fan of music, Chicago, industrial music, certainly, uh, this is really an essential film to watch. I can't believe how much work you put into this, both of you. It's just a, a tremendous testament to your commitment, your belief in the Wax Tracks and its legacy. Thank you for putting this together for us to enjoy. Our pleasure. Love it. All right. Industrial Accident, WaxTracks.com. Watch this movie. Share it with a friend. It's just, it's so fantastic. Uh, Eat it, El Prez. Drive a Mazda. Thank you. Speaking of which, Carquin Carney, presented by the Audubon <laughs> Mazda of Evanston. Thank you, Julia. My pleasure. You're a pro. All right. I'll let you finish your chilaquiles in, in relative privacy, so you don't have to do it on camera. Uh, but if you're watching, thank you for watching. If you're listening, well, thanks for that, too. Bye. Bye. <laughs>